Hey everybody, today we're going to be talking about niching and imposter syndrome and time management and my brand new feature, Feminism Fridays. I'm very excited. I'm Briar Harvey. This is Ask Briar. And first up, I have the lovely and amazing Jillian. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really good. All right, so give us the quick rundown. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Okay, so I'm a copywriter at the moment with a niche in about pages and bios, profiles. Um, I've been doing that for about year, 18 months. I've been a copywriter for seven years. And um, I live in North Wales in the UK um so that's where i am at the moment and i'm looking to narrow down my niche a bit harder at the moment so that's where i'm at and i've got a few had a few little nuggets of inspiration since we last spoke so so okay let's talk your niche what mm. is it first that makes you feel like you need to niche down more um because i'm doing about pages for um profiles for people in b2b and i i don't think i've been i've narrowed down hard enough on that i think it's a bit vague and i need perhaps to focus in on a particular group of b2bs rather than just say all b2bs because it's just way too broad i think so yeah i can't hear you what makes it feel too broad um it just feels like it's covering too many businesses too many because there are so many different types of b2bs out there and i think if i know specifically who i'm going to be working with and who my target audience is more specifically then i have a better idea of what their needs are and how they need to show up in their bios and in their web copy so i think that's something i really need to think about so who would you prefer to work with um i've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days um and i come from a health background i was in the nhs for nigh on 10 plus years um and when i left i was kind of like I wanted to do anything but look at health. I was just completely burned out. Um, so I did an MA in creative practice and I kind of went down more of like a creative path. But now coming back to it, thinking actually health is my area. Health is what I know. Um, and I have a specific interest in mental health and how technology is used to improve their lives and the lives of people with learning disabilities. So I'm thinking now maybe that is going to be the path I go down. It's definitely going to be around health because I think for a couple of reasons, including my work history, I'm best placed to go down that route. Uh -huh. I think that it interests you and it you does. like it. I can see you light up a little bit now when you're talking about, and I can understand being bored and wanting to do something else, but sometimes our callings call us back. Oh yeah, definitely. 
definitely. And we try to ignore it, but I just don't think that you can avoid it for long. I think you will always come back to it in the end. So I think you have your, your answer, don't you? You need, and it's a huge market for you. The yeah. explosion of telehealth because of Corona, the increase in people who are at home and who need mental health solutions and who need, I mean, the special needs services right now are pretty bleak, according to my friends with special needs children. Like a friend of mine taught a webinar the other day on how to find volunteers to come into your home. And if you trust them enough to meet masking requirements, that's yeah. something we can talk about. But there are so many service-based needs that can be met online, at least in some way yeah. for some of our kids. And there's innovation that's required there. There's work that needs to be done there. And I'm sure it's being done. And I'm sure they need you to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that I'm thinking about, and this is something I've experienced myself as well. Um, so I joined this therapy group a few weeks ago and coronavirus hit just as we were starting. And it all had to go online. Now, the NHS is really, really strong on this in the UK about encryption and security and data protection so we couldn't do it online we couldn't do it like we are now on video it had to be via email but that's something they're going to have to look into because there's more people coming up now with more mental health issues due to covid and the isolation they can have um therapy online like this you know uh, on zoom or skype but they've got to think about the security and the encryption and, and all of that. So it is becoming, I think it's coming back into the arena. It's, it's, it's always been there, but it's more and more important now with things the way that they are in the current climate. Well, in Zoom, well, not the answer, especially if we're considering the security issues. It's just simply not. No, no. Um, this guy told me that as well because he was saying that um, he'd heard that some people had broken in and had gone in while they were in the middle of something. So, um, no, it's not really the ideal platform for that. It's something that needs to be rethought. The technology um, needs to be really considered very carefully with vulnerable people in mind. My there so jitsi uses and i'm not an expert at this but jitsi which is the platform one of the platforms that i am switching to we're on Streamyard now i am switching my individual communications to jitsi because i am getting rid of zoom completely oh. security issues aside um so they have what's called end-to-end -end encryption, so it is more secure. It cannot be breached, theoretically. The problem with Zoom, I think, right now is the number of people on the platform. They have so many people who are using it for school, for work, for everything, that they're yeah. just not able to keep up with the load. But I believe that there are designers that are working on this, and yeah, this is absolutely 
a market that you can target. And it is well-defined enough, I think, that you should be able to really narrow in who you want to speak to and how you need to approach them. Yeah, yeah. It's really exciting. I just feel that um, I'm just like zone of genius after seven years. I'm just reaching that, that piece of me that is really excited about what I'm about to do and... Um, looking into it and the research and everything it's just exciting well i'm excited for you and you keep me posted i will i definitely will all right my dear thank you so much for coming thank you for having me bye now bye-bye okay so next up was a written in question. I've gotten a few of these now and you are always welcome to message me on Facebook or via email. That's briarharvey.com and ask me questions. This one was anonymous. It was. How do I get over imposter syndrome? Which is a hell of a question. I think I can probably talk about that for 10 minutes, if not the rest of my life. Because I think the answer is you never get over imposter syndrome. I think everyone has imposter syndrome forever. And it's just a matter of figuring out how to deal with those voices and what you do with those voices. I think for me personally, my the voice in my head that tells me terrible things frequently and often has my father's voice, which is like a whole nother hour's worth of therapy session we're not going to get into here. But it sounds like my dad, which means that at this point in time in my, my life, it's relatively easy to tell him to go fuck himself. Because we haven't spoken in over... Gosh, I want to say 15 years now. It might even be longer than that because we have not spoken. I requested an an apology. I have not received one, and that's it. Boundaries are important. And boundaries work with your inner voices, too. You have to figure out how to either work with them or change them or make them silent. So if we are working with our inner critic, we have found a way to make it sound a little less threatening. This is easier for some of us than others, I think. I will probably never really like the sound of my inner critic and it will probably never be really peaceful. So we don't have peaceful conversations. We have fairly strident arguments and we don't tell myself very nice things about myself. So working with it is not really my best option. 
you can, I think, manage it by appeasing it, by this, this one ties into mother wound often, which is a concept I am not well qualified to explain. I am reading a fantastic book. It is called Belonging. I believe the author is Tokopa Turner. Probably wrong. I am often wrong. This book has really been fairly illuminating in the ways in which we are not invited in or called in and how many of those things are reflections of our childhood. And when it comes to mother wounds and our inner critic, they are often inextricably related. We tell ourselves things that our mothers told us when we were children, which is something I am now as a mother incredibly conscious of when I try and converse with my own children. I am aware that I am either paying for future therapy or I am building up their inner dialogue for when they're an adult. So given that not all of us have that advantage of foresight, sometimes that inner dialogue, that mother wound is pretty terrible. And biting and cutting. And if we cannot work with it, then the next step of managing it is finding ways to change the dialogue. If you know who, if, if you have the ability to identify who is saying these things to you, if it's your mother or if it's a parental figure, you can, options that you can explore are cord cutting, especially if that person is no longer alive. These are meditative rituals that you can go under where you physically slip the sacral cords that bind you to them so that you are no longer bound by the stories that they have told you. Once you have done this kind of metaphysical work, you can start shifting the voices to maybe saying more positive things. And this is a tough one because we frequently don't have the ability to reframe in the moment. So what we're looking at then is identifying the voice, often through journaling, and being aware of what it says very specifically so that we can then go ahead and reframe the language. By reframing, we are looking at specifically what we want from, what we want the language to say. If 
the language was you are a terrible person and you will never be good at this then we can reframe it to you are a wonderful person and you are a beacon of light and hope and joy. I mean, really lay it on thick. Like we're building inner dialogue. So the more that we tell ourselves beautiful and wonderful things, the easier it is to believe them. With inner critic work, when we cannot reframe, mostly we just tell it to go away. It is the single most effective tactic I have yet found for making things work for me personally. It is what I use to frame. I know I don't like it. And I know my inner critic doesn't have anything positive to say. So rather than negotiating or reframing or arguing, I just shut it down. And for me, that has been the most effective tactic for being able to get myself set up. And how does that get us over imposter syndrome? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure we ever do. But if we are ignoring the negative voices or reframing the negative voices, then we at least have a shot at doing the thing anyway. And ultimately, that is what it comes down to for most of us. It's about feeling the fear and then doing the thing anyway. And that is how we get around it. Okay. I had Kelly for a brief second and then she was gone. So fingers crossed she comes back. In the meantime, I am going to go ahead and tease my Feminist Friday piece. We're going to be talking about the influencers of QAnon. It's very exciting. But before we get there, I would like to note that it is 168 days since Breonna Taylor was shot and killed and her killers have not been arrested. Thank you very much. Okay. And while we are killing time, let's see what we got here over on. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and start in. If Kelly comes back, we will answer her question about time management. Until then, I have, oh, here she is, fantastic. Okay, 
at two stream. Hello. Hi, how are you? I am good. You were here and then you were gone. Sorry. I didn't know if I was interrupting something. I saw nope. you talking. I'm like, oh, let me back out. <laughs> no, I really, I'm working on getting my intro sequence figured out. But yes, there is, you get to come in and see things and then watch. It's fabulous. I kind of like stream art. I'm really, I'm enjoying playing with it because I'm quitting Zoom. This is... Ah. I, I'm quitting Zoom. So this is what we're using for broadcast now. And I'm using Jitsi for client stuff. I'm I'm liking it, honestly. So give us the quick rundown. You and what you do and what you have to offer these days. Awesome. So I am a practicing witch and I'm also a psychic business coach. So I work mainly with spiritual entrepreneurs and mainly women who really want to connect into that part of themselves that feels really witchy. So a lot of the people that come to me, they're drawn to witchcraft in a past life or they're really drawn to the archetype in this current lifetime. So when we work together, we just help them connect with that part of themselves and bring that forth in their life and their business. And then as far as what I have going on, uh, the best place to find me is over in my Facebook group, the BizWitch Society. That's where I always hang out and I do group programs and one-to-one -one work with people. Fantastic. We will figure out a way to link that in the show notes and the comments later. So go ahead. Fire away. Time management. Yeah. So my question is, for someone who is creative and just wants to lead their days really intuitively in a way that feels really good, what are your tips on still staying organized enough so you're getting everything done without feeling like you're boxed into a schedule? I think for most creatives, the best answer tends to be time blocking in some way, whether that is a daily theme or whether that's from 10 to 2 on Friday, we do this thing. And I think the best way to make that work is to have an idea of it and lots of white space around it, but then to use sensory triggers. So maybe you are using some kind of scent. This is the most powerful one for people. Like I light a specific candle on Wednesdays for writing day because that's what writing day smells like. And I eat breakfast on writing day. And then I make a specific kind of tea, which tastes of writing day. So that by the time I sit down for writing day, theoretically, I am ready for writing day to happen. <laughs> doesn't always work out like that but music is good any kind of sensory activity is good and when we are theming things so it's really helpful to I think take into account our natural rhythms if you don't do well in the morning you should not ever try and force yourself to get up and be a part of the 5 a.m. club. That is just, it is a recipe for disaster. It'll work a couple of times. And then the fourth or fifth time, you'll resent the hell out of it. And then the sixth time, you'll just turn your alarm off and then it'll never happen again. And you'll feel vaguely guilty about the fact that you have tried to implement this routine 
but in fact, now it's just not working for you. So what kind of, what is your home situation like right now in Corona in particular? <laughs> so Corona didn't really change too much for me because I'm a total hermit anyway. So I'm outside with my dog like a few times a day and I live downtown. So I walk to run errands, but for the most part I have, like I'm in my apartment and we're at a stage now where I can go and work from coffee shops, which before the Rona, I found that to be really helpful because when I put myself in a different environment, I was able to get a lot more done. But I find like being at home, like even though I have a home office set up, I do writing at my kitchen table. That seems to be the place where I, um, I tend to sit down to do that kind of work. I still sometimes go about my day where I'm like, I get my non-negotiables done, but then the rest of the time I'm just like flitting around and I get to the end of the day, I'm like, I probably could have gotten a lot more done, but I have a lot of time, a lot of flexibility um, for kids at home. So other than that, like no distractions or anything. So then what feels good in a way of time blocks? Does two hours feel good? Does four hours feel good? What feels like an appropriate amount of time to really get in deep and do the work? I think if I did an hour at a time to start, that would be good. Because okay. two hours right now feels a little bit too like, ah, <laughs> way too much of a commitment. So then it's an hour. A thing you might want to consider is something called habit stacking. This works really well to when we because we trigger it off of things that are non-negotiable already. You have to eat lunch, say, not everyone does, but say that's a thing that you do every single day, or you make coffee every single day. Once you've done that thing, then you stack the next trigger on. So then maybe that's starting the playlist. And then you light the candle or spray the room spray. Again, we're back with sensory things are really important when we're building the habit because it helps program our brain to think, okay, I'm getting there. I'm thinking about the thing now. By the time I sit down and do it, my brain will be ready to engage with it. So I think that makes a really big difference when we're trying to figure out how to block that time out for ourselves. I love that. And I think too, any way that you can eliminate the distractions, whether it's leaving the phone in another room or going into airplane mode, like we're all incredibly guilty of this at a base level. Like. You know, people talk about that morning routine. My morning routine is taking my phone to the bathroom so I can read Reddit on the <laughs> toilet. Like, there is no highbrow, I start with journaling and warm water with lemon. No, no, none of that here. So we're all very guilty, I think, of succumbing to the digital thing. So any way that you can shut it off. Um, I'm particularly fond of the forest app, which grows little trees. When you work for a specific length of time, you can use it on your browser or on your phone and it locks everything down. So you kill the tree if you use your phone for other things. Which <laughs> is sometimes what is required to get me to focus for 30 minutes to actually do the thing. I, 
it's fine. And with Forest, it also has sound effects, which is honestly my favorite part. You can play cafe noises because I'm still not going to cafes here because Nebraska is wildly variable on what they require in terms of masking or not masking. It's up to each event individual establishment. So we're not really doing anything outside of home yet. <clears throat> and I play cafe noises in forest because it makes me miss cafes a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> brings back the vibe. It, it brings back the vibe. There's also city noises and then nature soundscapes, you know, the normal noises that you can listen to to focus on and get deep work done. If music is not doing it for you, um, with music in particular, um, there are chill hop, I think, if you are a Pandora or Spotify person, that is a good search term to look for. I saw a comment once that said any playlist that has a girl on a bed with a stack of books is probably something worth checking out. And I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, that's probably if you don't know what kind of music to cultivate for that then start exploring your options um by neural beats is that how we pronounce that word i have no idea i, I think, think so i think yeah. that's how we pronounce that word those are good too um and then just experiment if it doesn't work don't feel bad throw it away try something new until you are stretching out that hour and it's comfortable and then you can start buying yourself 90 minutes at a time and then two hours at a time, whether that's every day, whether that's on Tuesdays and Thursdays because you've scheduled those days in your calendar, whatever that looks like for you, figure out a way to chunk it down and make it feel good. Because if it feels good, then you're going to do it. That is ultimately the most important part. If you say Wednesday is writing day, and for me, that's breakfast. Like I actually make a big fancy breakfast on writing day. The rest of the week, it's smoothies. But on writing day, it's a big, it's bacon and eggs. And then I'm like, okay, I'm writing now. All of those triggers really lead, because I, writing day is not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how we get it to feel good or as good as it's going to, right? I love that. That was so helpful. Good. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much for being here and I will chat with you soon. I'm looking forward to your workshop next week. Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Okay. So. Feminism Friday, the insta-influers of QAnon. This was an article in Slate about two weeks ago. I will find and link that in the comments. Um, so here's what we're looking at. There are a fairly sizable group of Instagram influencers who are who appear to be mainstream homemakers. This is, and I see them pop up in health, in wellness. They are obviously all over the spiritual community. They are 
everywhere within the natural parenting community and they are just your normal typical run-of-the-mill influencer who is absolutely sharing QAnon memes and hashtags. So one, uh, what I wanted to address very specifically today um, were some of those hashtags. And so that you know what you are looking for. Obviously, QAnon is a big one. Pizzagate shows up a lot. WWG1, WGA, which stands for Where We Go One, We Go All, which is a QAnon rallying cry. Um, there's CBTS, and I'll be honest, I don't even know what the fuck that stands for. Castle is related. Some of these are pretty deep in, like... Here's another, enjoy the show, the calm before the storm, the great awakening. Those are pretty common hashtags that you will find from QAnon influencers. And the reason I'm mentioning them, if you are on Instagram at all, it's something that you really kind of want to go through at this point in time. Whether you choose to follow these people or not is up to you. But at this point in time, I am honestly profoundly disturbed by what's going on in conspiracy theory these days. It's everywhere. And it's increasingly polarized. There are the people on the left, the info or the right, the InfoWars guys, who I've long expected to be in QAnon's back pocket, considering the lineage of QAnon itself, which if you're not familiar, the down and dirty version is that QAnon started on 4chan, which should really tell you everything you need to know about the history here. It's all very make American great, deep state believer kind of stuff. <clears throat> and it has slowly filtered in, which wouldn't be very disturbing, except that now I am seeing it very profoundly with all of these people on the left. These are, you know, people who are airy fairy hippie love and light people that I have long associated as being a part of the socialist movement or anarchist movement. Certainly paganism seems to be very infiltra heavily infiltrated with these people. And there is a lot of overlap, and I say overlap because there's this kind of Venn diagram here, but overlap with the anti-vaxxers who are often very liberal or very wealthy. There seems to be some kind of trend there with the anti-vaxxers who will talk about herd immunity as though they're not a part of the herd. So... I'm not sure what's happening, just that the profoundly 
far right influences of Infowars and those kinds of people have gotten over here with our folks on the left. And we are now all talking about saving the children, which is a diversionary tactic, obviously, in a lot of ways. But even were it not an avoidance of Black Lives Matter, it's born of fantasy. It's born of the idea... Conspiracy really fascinates me. I think that we don't want to accept the simple explanation because if we were to accept it, it would be to acknowledge our own fallibility as people. It's easier to believe in the giant conspiracy because we want to be remarkable. And the easy answer that the government is inept, that the reason we keep killing each other is because we're horrible. The reason that we are dying is because we have no care or respect for our fellow man. That's the easiest answer and the one that we don't want to acknowledge because we too bear some responsibility for those things, for thinking those things and for believing those things. And until we are willing to acknowledge our own human failings and acknowledge that we too are in some ways responsible for the things that are happening around us, it is easier to embrace the fantasy, to embrace the conspiracy. So that's what I got for y'all today. Thank you so much for watching and sharing. Please like and subscribe and do all of the things. And if you found this show valuable, please do buy me some tacos. I miss tacos and I can't take people out to trucks anymore, but I can still go get tacos by myself. And when I eat one, I will think of you. So, Talk to y'all later. See you next week. Bye now.